All right, so Desmond Cole has a question this week. Desmond hosts a podcast about Canadian politics. And what's the difference between Canadian and American politics, you ask? Well, it's way better and more interesting, first of all. Really? Yes, absolutely. Way more dynamic. So many more factors. I think even a better quality of conversation. But Desmond's question isn't about Canadian or American politics. But it is about choices. And my question is, how do animals choose their leaders? Okay. Do they do what we do and just the hottest person wins? Like, <laughs> you know, hottest animal. Sharpest haircut. Sharpest hair. You know, nice grooming. Are there actually things like elections? Is it like the monarchy? I'm just curious because I think that the way that human beings pick our so-called leaders is just completely weird and doesn't make any sense. I don't know. I don't know. They could be more sophisticated than we think. That's all I'm trying to put out there. <laughs> I'm Andrew Norton, and this is the Completely Optional Knowledge Podcast, brought to you by Greenpeace. Ask, inquire, seek the truth. The show where we take questions that make you go, huh? And we try and make you be like, oh. Clint Panic is a researcher at North Carolina State University. He studies social organization in insects. That'll seem a little bit more relevant in a minute, but I got right into our first question. How do animals choose their leaders? So for animals, leader is sometimes a, a complex term, um, but we frame it in terms of dominance. And so the most basic dominance structure that people are familiar with that animals use is called the linear hierarchy. Hmm. So there's essentially a dominant alpha individual at top, um, then there's a beta individual under them, and then gamma, and it goes sort of on down the line. And so one of the most famous examples of that comes from wolves. You think of the alpha dog. Yeah. And it turns out the early research on wolves was based on populations that were living in zoos. Hmm. And when they went out into nature, it turns out most wolf packs are organized as family groups. And this is actually something really similar to what we see in humans. Huh. And is there anything resembling kind of government and elections like we normally have them? When you look at something on the scale of the United States... Our most closest kin are really uh, social insects, which is what I study. That's very flattering to, uh, <laughs> <laughs> to Americans. <laughs> I, I see what you're saying, though. So in social insect colonies, the workers in the colony have some say in who becomes their eventual queen in certain cases. Hmm. So in the species that I work with, they're called the Indian jumping ant. What happens when you remove the queen from one of these colonies? Within a few hours, the workers kind of go all inside the nest and they start engaging in a few dominance behaviors with each other. And so the most common one is called antennal dueling. And so unlike honeybee queens, which fight to the death, most animal fighting isn't quite that violent. It's usually what we call ritualized dominance. Um, and so in this case, they, they beat each other in the face with their antennae, back and <laughs> forth, back and forth. And they do these, yeah, these little duels. And they do hundreds of these a day. And this dueling can last for up to a month before the workers or the colony really figures out who the new reproductives are. So this is the campaign. These are the attack ads. No one's, no one's dying, but, uh, you know, they're having at each other. Exactly, exactly. So they're, they're kind of nipping at each other. They're looking for each other's weak points. But it's not completely based on the individual's interactions, their potential dominance fighting. Um, what we know in this species is that they have another behavior where the subordinate individuals in the colony actually walk through these duels and pay attention to what's happening. Hmm. And they don't really know 
who all the individuals are fighting. But what they're looking for is that special quality in a candidate um, that says they might be a good reproductive in the colony. Uh, and so for ants, that's basically the smell of the individuals. And individuals that lay more eggs, they emit a smell that says, I'm a very fertile reproductive. And they only can produce that chemical if their ovaries are also filled with eggs. And if some of the workers detect this smell, can they then influence who becomes a leader? Exactly. So that's exactly what they do. And they have a behavior, and we call it physical policing. What the subordinate workers will do, they'll go around and kind of smell individuals as these, these, uh, the dominant ones are fighting with each other. And they'll say, you know what, this individual is still fighting. It's, it's trying to assert dominance, but it just doesn't smell like a dominant. <laughs> Sounds like a baseball scout or something like that. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't look like a home run hitter. It's like, you know, sorry to be the one to let you know, but you're not going to win this. Um, <laughs> and so they jump and they bite bite the individual that they think wouldn't make a great reproductive. Wow. Um, and they hold on to them sometimes for 24 hours. They just don't let go. Um, and sometimes multiple individuals will pile on. So you have oh multiple God. ants that are all biting this one individual. And again, they don't kill them usually. So they just hold on to them and they don't let them fight. Um, and then usually after 24 hours, this shuts down any sort of notions of dominance that individual has. Hmm. Um, and so it shuts down their ovaries and they basically go back to being a worker after that. So I think this is, you know, a clear case of, of some level of democracy. You have individuals that are competing um, and trying to outdo each other, but you also have the rest of the colony going along and assessing uh, the individuals and trying to figure out which ones would make the best leader and which ones obviously would not. And then they actually remove those from the dominance pool. Well, it's funny, you know, with human elections, we have these ideas of what we like in our leaders. And we like to think that we're making decisions on high minded things like how we treat each other and how we treat less fortunate humans and make big decisions on globally pressing issues. But really, we might be basing it more on like who looks like us or this gut feeling of, of a candidate that you like, which is actually very similar almost to, to what you're describing. It's like more similar than I think we'd like to think. Yeah, I think that's exactly true. I think a lot of what politics is, is trying to obscure the true differences in the candidates and kind of play on our emotions a little bit more rather than our ability to discern the quality that's most important to us. I mean, with ants, it's like, okay, you need to reproduce. That's the number one thing we need, whereas humans haven't fully agreed on on their perfect leader, right? Oh, I think, yeah, that's totally true. We have a lot more conflicting interests than an ant colony. <laughs> <laughs> That is not what I thought the answer was going to be, Andrew. <laughs> it is really similar to what we do. I, I'm a journalist and, you know, to make a journalism comparison, I, I think that that's what happens sometimes is that people see a candidate and they're being asked really tough questions and people often like somebody who seems like they can withstand that. It is interesting how close it is to what we do. What this has made me realize first and foremost is that I am not smelling enough of the people that I interview. <laughs> Go up to them, give them a good sniff. I gotta vet people better and this should involve the smell test. What does leadership smell like in a candidate? Oh, it it must be... Aftershave? <laughs> <laughs> you know, some kind of sporty scent, some kind of uh, mountain fragrance. Yeah, it smells I think. like truth. It smells like truth. <laughs> The Completely Optional Knowledge Podcast is produced by me, Andrew Norton, and is presented by Greenpeace. 
Our theme music was created by Breakmaster Cylinder. Our website is completelyoptionalknowledge.org, and that's where you can find past episodes. You can subscribe, and that's where you can also ask questions for future episodes. Thanks again for listening, and we will be back again in two weeks with more Completely Optional Knowledge. Science.